1: Hello everybody and welcome to Back to the Bins. I'm Paul Spitaro and I am not joined this week by Dr. Bill Robinson and Scott Gardner. Instead, we are doing part two of a crossover between the Fire and Water Network and Back to the Bins, or the Fire and Water Podcast and Back to the Bins. If you have not yet listened, please pause this, go download the most recent episode of the Fire and Water Podcast, listen to the first part, and then come back. We'll wait for you. I'm here today with my friends, Rob Kelly. Hey, Paul. Hey, Rob. How are you?
2: I'm doing great, and I'm very impressed that you got the intro on the first take. Shag, might be something to shoot for.
0: (laughs) Hate hate you with every fiber of my being. Hello, Paul. I'm so glad to be podcasting with a professional for once.
1: As you can hear, the irredeemable Shag is with us today.
0: I am back, folks. They couldn't keep me away. I was here for the Marvel team-up episode with the White Rabbit and the Frogman. We all... Commonly acknowledged as the greatest single comic in American history. Uh, and now I'm here again because Paul has blackmail material on me.
1: Every time that episode comes up, all I can think about is you talking about how
0: hot the White Rabbit was. Smoking hot. Smoking It was formative in my youth, okay? Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> Shag, you were
2: 36.
0: <laughs> Not true. I bought it off the shelf, damn it. So
1: in the previous episode, we covered... Aquaman number fifty six from what was the date on that it was uh, January nineteen seventy one and the cover date was April of seventy one. Now we're covering Submariner number seventy two, which the cover date is September of nineteen seventy four. Ironically, uh, Aquaman was canceled following number fifty six, and Submariner was canceled following number seventy two. <laughs> this 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 crossover was the death knell for both character both books.
2: Steve Skates is the Ted McGinley of uh, aquatic superhero comics. (laughs) right?
1: So so, uh, Submariner jumped the shark, so to speak.
0: Given this is a crossover between two different major companies and ended both books, let's just hope that both of our shows survive this crossover. (laughs) Yeah, really.
1: So again, we're looking at Submariner number 72- Again, cover dated September of
0: 1974. Uh, If I can be pedantic, because comic book fans are nothing if not that, it is the Savage Submariner, sir. It
1: is. And there there were different titles that came over the years for the Submariner. This was the Savage one. Uh, The cover is by John Romita and inked by Mike Esposito. And it shows the Submariner... Down on one knee, apparently having just kind of taken a beating. There's two guys laying in the foreground on a pier in front of him. And while he's kind of recovering and he's got his costume all ripped that he, uh, you know, he was through a battle. And one of, one of the unconscious, man, unconscious men has a hook in his hand. And from behind him, the slime thing is coming up. Uh, and it says, this is, your, this is it, Namor, your final defeat, beneath the talons of the slime thing. Interestingly, since the slime thing never actually speaks uh, in the book. And so, Namor is thinking, I must rise to face my monstrous foe, or two worlds are doomed, the surface world and Atlantis. And I wonder if that's a little irony there. Uh, the surface world, you know, two worlds are doomed, if he's going into a little bit of the uh, fact that this is a crossover with the uh, DC universe
0: hmm could be i think you might i think you're digging a little too deep there but i like the idea though
1: i probably am but uh yeah this was in an era where they were putting word bubbles on covers which is not something that survived too long after this uh what do you guys think of the cover
0: you want to go first rob
2: um yeah i i would rate this as jaws 2 um that's how <laughs> i oh, wait i'm sorry that's it Different show, I wrong show <laughs> uh, Yeah, no, wrong show uh, No, I love this cover I have said many times I think in terms of covers Marvel ruled the roost in the 70s I think Marvel covers in the 70s are Unparalleled in how exciting they are They're just so I mean, they're, they're overstuffed As you can see here, this thing has four word balloons <laughs> uh, Plus the title Plus the adjective Marvel love their adjectives Amazing, uncanny, incredible uh, I guess the irredeemable, I guess the nifty Namor didn't have the same pull to it uh, it's, it's got the, the great cover corner symbol it, I just it, the colors are great, I love the blood red sky, it's just I, these things are just so fun to look at, so I love this cover
0: I, I'm going to have to echo a lot of what Rob says, and that hurts me to do so, but <laughs> its it, fun is the right word, it, it, and I am a sucker for word balloons on covers. I love them. As ridiculous as they are and how much they break up the art, I don't care. They're just so exciting. I love how the slime thing has its own font. Um, I did a quick Google here. Swamp Thing had already been established, so I'm wondering if they're trying to play off the popularity of Swamp Thing by using this on a cover.
1: I but, believe Man uh, Thing had also been
0: uh, Oh established yeah, yeah. by this time. Well they came out like the same month, didn't they? Or a month apart, yeah. So yeah, something like that. I I love Namor's costume at this point, too. I, I don't know if it's officially called the shark skin suit. That's what I've always known it as. Uh, the black costume with uh, the wings and stuff like that. I just think it looks absolutely slick. So, uh, there, there's just a dynamic feel to it, too. The monster coming out of the water. The the water's dripping off of him. Uh, you know, sort of simulating motion lines. He's got the hand right over his head like he's about to crush his skull. And Namor's like, ah, I just can't get up, sort of thing. It's so much fun. And, and the... The cherry on top is the hook, the guy laying on the ground unconscious with the hook in between his fingers, which just cracks me up.
1: Which is what makes me, I'm thinking that's how Submariner's uniform got ripped.
0: Oh, that makes sense. Okay. Uh, you
1: know, in, in the uh, first part of this uh, crossover, we talked about how Jim Aparo is Rob's favorite artist of all time. Uh, my favorite artist of all time was John Romita Sr. Oh. So we're in we're in, in my uh, sweet spot right now, for sure, with this cover.
2: It can't be John Romita.
1: Well, that's, you know, basically when Kirby left, he kind of took over the Marvel art. He became the art director, and everybody, it kind of shifted from the house style being Kirby to the house style being Romita.
0: Oh, yeah. I'd agree with that. Absolutely.
2: And I would would say even more so Romita, because Romita's work was all the stuff on the merchandise. You really didn't get a lot of Kirby stuff on merchandise. It's all the stuff in the 70s. That's all Romita.
1: Yeah. And the covers that you were talking about were mostly Romita and Gil Kane.
2: Oh God! Love Gil Kane. Oh my God! Love <laughs> Gil Kane covers. Gil Kane,
1: I I feel like is a kind of he, he's kind of an acquired taste because I don't think he necessarily appeals to very young readers. But I think the older you get, the more you appreciate the quality of his art and the quality of the action that he put into it. So I I was a little surprised by their choices the choice to make him such a prime cover artist for that reason, but he drew
0: some great covers. Yeah. I'm I'm in this weird camp of hot and cold on Gil Kane. Like, certain stuff I think is just insanely amazing. Uh, like, Rob, you and I covered a, a drawing uh, for a Who's Who. I think it was Sonar, wasn't it? That oh, was yeah, yeah, Gil yeah. Kane. It was just like one of my favorite Gil Kane drawings I've ever seen. It's just amazing. Whereas there's other stuff where I'm kind of like, eh, not too hot on this. So I, I can't go hot and cold on it, but... I do recognize how amazing he is. When When he hits it, he hits it out of the park. When,
1: uh, you know, certain buzzwords that we use to describe artwork, and one of them is dynamic. Mm-hmm. And I think if, if I had to come up with one artist who would be an example of dynamic artwork, it would be Gil Kane.
0: Wasn't he the one, Rob, you said you could always tell is Gil Kane because somebody's getting f- knocked backwards and they're flipping. End-over.
1: Yeah, I'm sure he said that because that's one of his signature drawings.
2: Yeah, him and him and Sabu Samma. It's always guys getting punched like right in the crotch and fly, flying towards the camera.
1: And then Bill Bill always mentions the up the nose shot, which is a, a, yeah, a another Gil Kane signature. Yeah, the
2: up the nose shot. Yep, yep, yep.
1: But this unfortunately Gil Kane didn't have anything to do with this book.
2: Yeah, why are we talking about Gil Kane so much?
1: Because <laughs> he was great. But that's besides the point. This book was written by Steven Skates, penciled by Dan Atkins, inked by Vince Coletta, colored by Linda Lesman lettered by Artie Simic, edited by Roy Thomas. Uh, The title of the story is From the Void, It Came. And the story opens with Namor in the sea, disgusted by the pollution in the ocean. We have a flashback two years back with a space slime latching onto a satellite, and we see a gloved hand on Earth pressing a self-destruct button on the satellite. Or Mm. for the satellite. The text tells (laughs) us that the identity of the owner of that hand need not concern us. For anybody who's listening, that's Aquaman.
0: Well, (laughs) at at least it's Aquaman's fingers. We can can attest to that. Wrongly colored, but yes.
1: So wreckage from the satellite falls to the sea, including the slime. At the bottom of the sea, we see the slime develop into a humanoid form with Luke Cage's tiara on its head, and it takes (laughs) two years to fully develop, uh, and then uh, it starts to head for the land. So we cut to Namor sitting on the dock of a bay, watching the tide roll away, and he's confronted by a dude that tells him to scramola. He gives Namor a boot to the face, and we're actually given a quote by Adolf Hitler. I kid you not.
0: Yeah, we're going to talk about that in a minute.
1: (laughs) While this is going on, the slime creature slowly makes its way to the dock. The fight spills into the water, and the creature follows. The creature then attacks Namor, and the two engage in a battle. Uh, Namor has him on the ropes, but the creature shows a heretofore unseen power and uses its flesh-bulb eyes to blind Namor. Namor blindly tackles it, and it feels pain. Not liking that sensation it separates its head from its body and scor- soars s- skyward yeah namor wallows in self-pity at his blindness and then feels remorse for not trying to understand the creature and somehow his sight is returned at that point at this namor returns to atlantis where the people have fallen and namor understands that he has learned a lesson that will live with him forever and this was a very special last I- last issue of a series uh, he went on after this to be in uh, Super supervillain Team Up, with, oh, so with, good with Doctor Doom. So it it wasn't you know it wasn't that we didn't see Namor after this, but uh, this you know this was one of the series that came when Marvel finally got the ability to print more books, mm. and they 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 took the split books and started new series with all of them. I guess the one that lasted the least amount of time would have been Nick Fury, or or Doctor Strange actually then Nick Fury, and then Submariner. Because the other series all lasted quite some time. We had The Hulk, we had Captain America, we had Iron Man.
0: It's funny, you know, Doctor Strange is just one of those that you you don't think about being canceled. You know, it just seems like he's always been around. But no, he's he's had a struggled history as well. Good point.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Submariner went 72 issues. That's not a bad run. But uh, it was was definitely, uh, there were a lot of ups and downs during that run. Three less than Aquaman.
0: Just saying. <laughs> so,
2: what
1: do you guys what th- What you guys think of this story and the connection with the the first story that we read?
0: Well, I'm going to let Rob talk, but I I just want to point out one thing. It took two or so years for this creature to coalesce at the bottom of the ocean uh, or the bottom of the bay, which we talked about on the first part of this crossover, which is pretty much how this crossover event between Two True Freaks and Fire and Water Podcast happened as well. Because we had this idea three years ago to get together and discuss these books, and it took that long for it to finally happen. So in some ways, we're kind of
2: like the slime thing. (laughs) Uh, I'm not going to argue that point Uh, Yeah, I mean, I I enjoy this story Um, I appreciate the fact that Steve Skates Is able to modulate his way of telling his story To fit whatever company he's working for Because the Aquaman story is, I would argue, much more plot-driven It's much more this happens than that happens And then that causes this other thing to happen And then boom, 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 boom and I would say this Namor story, Submariner story, is much more about the mood of the characters affecting their behavior, and mm-hmm. that was kind of the Marvel style. That was, you know, this this story features Namor as this sort of tortured soul. I mean, he's hanging out on the dock, and he's just got his head down, and he's all kind of sad. And the reason this whole trouble starts is because you have these two kind of guys that are just kind of hanging out at the dock. I don't know what that's about, uh, and one of them just hates. Submariner because he's like a fish man. Uh, I mean, he's like, you hear me, fish face. And again, you've even got a lot of Steve skates humor in it because at one point the guy even says, "I'm telling you, that's Aquamariner or Submariner Man or something like that." So, boom, right there, he's dropping the mm-hmm. hint. Um, mm-hmm. And then when we see the hand, which of course, as we all know, is Aquaman detonating the. Uh, this, the satellite, I love the next panel. and you, you quoted this, Paul, where it says who that man is and why he wished to destroy the satellite need not concern us. I just love that he just introduces that. And he's like, look, kids, don't worry about it. Just the guy blew up the satellite. Let's move on to the next thing. It's just Steve Skeet's having a lot of fun. And I appreciate that. But, again, this is a much more moody, character-driven piece And I wouldn't necessarily imagine the story being done if Aquaman had been the star. I think this fits Namor's personality a lot more. And, that's again, that's the talent of of Skates, that he could sort of fit his style to whatever company he was working for.
0: That's really interesting. I hadn't thought of it that way. And it makes a lot more sense because I... I didn't struggle with this comic, but it, it does feel very, very different from the Aquaman, and I couldn't put my finger on it, and I think you you nailed it there. Now, there were a couple things in the story itself, which I did, kind of left me pondering. Like, um, one site I had read talked about the two guys who wanted to pick a fight with, with, with Namor that what skates was trying to go for pot- potentially was this whole feeling of intolerance how people aren't willing to accept people that are different because that's what they're really going on about and in fact if you read the car- these two buddies as you go through it there's even potentially a suggestion that they're they're gay and so it may have been some sort of commentary on people being intolerant of uh you know homophobic and things like that so that may have been an underlying piece in the story i you know no one can validate that obviously because gates is no longer with us but that's an interesting yes he thing. is
2: whoa 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 what? yes he is yes Steve oh, all around yes
0: well then
1: that's and now we'll passionate. need to ask him that <laughs> and
2: maybe we could <laughs> I see. steve
0: steve is still with us yes i i apologize to steve i did not know that i anyway i was convinced he was something had happened to him okay um Uh, lost my train of thought. So then the other thing that I want to address is when Namor goes blind, I remember the first time I read this comic three years ago for this (laughs) podcast, I thought the whole going blind was a weird plot point. I was like, why is this in here? You know, I don't really see it. And then... I read it again. This time, I do get some of the the themes of why it's there now. But if you look at the art and you look at the story, I'm almost wondering if it's not in the pencils at all, and it's just in the script. Like there's clearly a a page where he something happens, like he gets a you know something happens to his eyes for one or two panels, but then the rest of the book, there's really no indicator that he's blind at any point in the rest of the book. So it almost made me wonder if it really existed just in the script. I don't know if you guys can flip through the pages and see what I'm talking about there's there's no real hint about his blindness. Yeah, well, yeah, he
2: just attacks the creature even though he's even though he's blind, he just goes after him anyway. Yeah, I
1: mean, it you could kind of interpret it one way or the other from the artwork. But you know, there is kind of this this, this shot where he's down on one knee and he's kind of genuflecting uh, and then the next one where he's standing and he's, you know, like had an epiphany of some sort. So I think the artwork does kind of fit the fact that his vision came back at that point. Okay. Uh, I,
0: I, I was reading it differently, like, as far as what the art might represent. Like, I just saw it as him being more solemn and sad and then standing up proudly like he's going to go forward. Like, maybe that's what the artist is going for. But I, I guess I could see what you're saying, that that may be representative of with the blindness. Yeah.
1: I mean, the way the script is written, with him down kneeling, he's regretting that he didn't try to understand the creature. Yeah, I mean, he says, if only I had tried to understand the creature, maybe then I'd still be able to see. Mm, okay. So, right. uh, what do you guys think of the artwork in here? Because I have kind of mixed feelings about it. There's some aspects of it I like and some things that I don't like. And I'm curious what you think. Uh, I'd be curious what somebody who went to Joe Kubrick's school would think about it.
0: Well, then let me tell you. Oh, wait, that wasn't me. Did, wait, did Rob go to Joe Kubrick's?
2: I've never heard that before i didn't even bring it up guys i just want that on the record i did not bring this one up um yeah i mean look obviously any book that is being compared to a book drawn by jim apparo is going to be lesser in my eyes uh and i like dan atkins as an artist unfortunately he is paired with vince coletta uh and uh vince coletta's stuff just to me is horribly stiff and just doesn't feature anything of any real fluidity, uh, no pun intended. Uh, in particular, the splash page, not the splash page, but the big full page of the guy kicking Namor that features the quote by Adolf Hitler, uh, which I think was the beginning of the uh, Hitler quote-a-day calendar that, that briefly ran. <laughs> it wasn't very popular. Um, I mean, it's just, it's a very stiff pose. And I know that's partly Dan Adkins, but again, I think a lot of it is Vince Coletta that just I think you just didn't, I just, not a good inker. I'm sorry. I know he had a long career and all these other people have pointed out other work that he did that was great. But I don't know. Every time I see his his work in a Marvel comic, I just, oh God. And like particularly the last page in the story where we see the the Atlanteans laying in front of Atlantis. And I mean, that barely looks like a bunch of buildings. It's so lacking of detail. Yeah, I mean, they really they look like pieces of candy or salt shakers or something. I mean, I think that's just because Vince Coletto was like, I'm not thinking all this and just erased a bunch of lines. So I, I, Shag, you mentioned Namor's costume. I do love this suit. I think this suit is totally boss. This, this outfit that he's got with the wings. Mm-hmm. I think he looks awesome. Uh, And I would have loved to have seen somebody else ink this. So art-wise, I'm not uh, too terribly impressed with it.
1: See, I'm not sure if it's the inking so much as the pencils on some of it. Uh, And I go to the page where, uh, you know, after Namor stands up and there's a shot of him, like, seething, I think that looks terrible. Uh, And then the bottom of that page where he punches the guy in the face, that one looks incredibly stiff to me
0: that that exact panel actually believe it or not that very panel i when i read this the first time i was like boy this panel looks like something out of the golden age version of uh, uh of namor that rob and i just read recently because it is so stiff it just looks like a guy standing there throwing his arm out it doesn't look like any you know, there's no follow through there's no nothing it doesn't look like a real punch at all it's very very stiff now i'm one observation i want to make is it seems to me that maybe the artists ran out of time because the first about seven pages or so are actually really gorgeous.
2: Like I really like page is great.
0: Exactly. The splash page is great. All the outer stuff space looks,
1: stuff looks great.
0: That's exactly where I was going next. Exactly. The outer space stuff is gorgeous. I mean, the stars, the 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 satellites, the moon craters, all of it looks really really nice. Even the first appearances of the was it the slime thing? Is that what he, is that what we're calling? It? Yeah. The, the slime thing looked really really good. It is when Namor's sitting on, as you said by the dock of the bay on page ten where things start to get kind of less impressive, and as you go along the issue, they continue to get even less impressive, which is really sad because the fight, I mean, when you're reading a Marvel comic, you're coming there for the fight. You know it's going to happen. It's either going to be two people have a misunderstanding, or it's just a crazy fight, and that should be the part that should be the most exciting, and it doesn't quite follow through, which is unfortunate.
1: I agree with you. You know, I, I didn't really notice the difference. I noticed that I liked the earlier pages, but I didn't notice that at that point it gets consistently bad. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and you're exactly, I think you're right on the money with that. And Vince Coletta, you know, he, his claim to fame was that he could work quickly. Uh, and that's why, you know, he erased a lot of things was to move, to move it quickly and get the stuff done. Uh, I'm, I'm just looking the stuff in out of space. It's very detailed. Uh, mm-hmm. and there's, there's, you know, it, it really does look beautiful. The next page after that with the, the fish in the water look great, but I, I, do you think it could have been a team
0: of inkers and it wasn't just Vince maybe?
1: I'm thinking he got to that point and they were like, OK, you know, now you got whatever, however many days before this has got to come out. And he thought, OK, I got to move this thing along.
0: Yeah, that could be the case, too. Yeah,
1: because that that was his thing. You know, Vince Colletta, no question about it, would sacrifice his artistic eye for the sake of of speed.
2: And I, it did become a self-fulfilling prophecy after a while. And that like he grew he got the reputation as the guy that could get a book out in a weekend. But then if you gain if you if that's your reputation, then that's all you ever get offered. You know, is like, hey, Vince, we need a book done at a weekend and well how you can't possibly do good work if you're given, no that kind of time. You know, Al Milgram has talked about this, Shag. I mean, again, of course, you're Al Milgram, where a lot of his Marvel work was kind of... He became a guy that could get a book done really quickly, and he sort of, by his own admission, damaged his reputation as kind of a little bit like a hack sometimes. And it was like, well, it's because Marvel never gave him a chance to really do quality work. You know, they didn't allow him six months to work on a project like Frank Miller or something. It was like, no, no, get it done fast. And so it... It, you're doing it to be, you know, like a good company man and you're doing it because you want the work and all these kinds of probably good reasons. But it can you know, kind of backfire if that's all you get thought of as, uh, as a certain point as the guy that gets it done in three days. Yeah, yeah
0: Alan Milgram, do Secret Wars 2 quick. Exactly. Right. So. Yeah, exactly. So I, I want to talk. I, let's talk about the Hitler quote. Let's just we've mentioned it a couple times now. What the bloody hell is that about? Because, I mean, if you read the quote in the context of the story, as I'm reading it, it's basically Hitler explaining why comic books are effective. That's what I read it as.
1: Yeah, it seems there doesn't seem to be a reason to reach to Hitler to make that point. Right. That's really what it comes down to. It's not like, okay, I'm doing a story where uh, a character parallels Hitler's history or has any type of similarity to Hitler similarity to Hitler, so I'm going to quote him here to show the readers what it is. Now, I mean, I guess we could be going to the bigotry of this guy who's attacking Namor, but the quote certainly has nothing to do with that.
0: You're right! Exactly!
1: And for, for anybody listening, the quote, I'll, I'll just read it really quickly. Many will be far more ready to take in a pictorial presentation than to read a lengthy piece of writing. The picture, in a shorter time, I would almost say... At one blow, furnishes man with an enlightenment which he receives from literature only after tedious reading. Adolf Hitler.
2: What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> the, only, the only Hitler quote you ever need to put anywhere is, I was a giant asshole. That's really the <laughs> only quote you need from him.
0: It is so, and again, the the quote is basically saying, a a picture's worth a thousand words, is what he's saying. A picture's worth a thousand words. And this is a picture of a guy kicking Namor in the face. And it's like, oh, geez. So out of left field, so awkward. Maybe that's why the book got canceled was that quote. I don't know.
1: Just from a logistical point of view, Namor is as strong as the thing. Not quite as strong as the Hulk, but, you know, he can battle him. Yeah. Is a regular human kicking him to the face gonna put him down the way this does?
0: Well he no. is wearing cow- he is wearing cowboy boots and his shirt is buttoned down to the navel though, to be fair.
1: He's wearing cowboy boots throughout until the until his buddy is carrying him, then he's wearing buccaneer boots. <laughs> <laughs> if you if you fair cut enough. to that page. <laughs>
0: Uh, the only thing you could say you know, is, like, is that Namor was really, really weak, maybe, after swimming through that polluted water. I mean, it's, there, there's no logic for it. Uh, it, it, it the, the reason he went down is because the story demanded it. That's why.
2: Well, it's funny because that's like the most Aquaman-y moment in the story. Because under Steve Skeets, Aquaman barely had any extra strength at all. He was constantly getting knocked out by regular dudes with sticks.
0: Uh, <laughs>
2: and, as, and as we've talked about in the Marvel Universe, Namor is a top-tier character. I mean, he's he's just under Hulk, Thing, Thor, in terms of his raw power. So, yeah, two guys kicking him. I don't care what kind of boots they got on. Uh, right. Namor's just picking them up and throwing them into outer space. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, really. Was it was he that strong at this point? I mean, I know Namor, like yes. like most characters, they get ramped up. But was he? Could he go toe to toe with Thing at this point? Oh yeah, oh, absolutely. absolutely. He
2: did all the time. Yeah. All right. yep, yep, yep. Not he only
1: do it. not only could he go toe to toe with him, I think uh, more often than not he bested him.
2: Hmm. All right. Yeah. He he. He was, he was, oh, and he's one of the defenders. He was, oh, he was of that level. So, yeah, it makes no sense that two normal guys would be able to get anywhere near him.
1: It isn't even two of them. The the one guy is, is it right? staying out like of The other it guy is saying, yeah, knock yeah, you're it right.
2: off. Yeah. Yeah.
1: The, the other guy doesn't get involved until after Namor throws the the first guy into the water.
2: Yeah, that's right.
1: The referee shirt. say.
0: Based on that punch, Namor gives that guy, knocking him into the water. It's two punches, really. It looks like, or maybe it's just one punch. They show from a couple different angles, but um, I mean, I think Namor's intention was to kill the guy because he's he's clearly knocking the guy out and knocking him under the water, and he's going to sink. That's
2: that's how I read it. Yeah, that, I think it's I think it's always Namor's intention.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't I I don't think he had the uh, you know the respect of people who didn't treat him with respect. Well, That's the respect no, for I mean, he was, people.
2: He was didn't. always constantly trying to kill the entire surface world just so he could impress Sue Storm. So, yeah, he had no problem with that.
0: I, I'm okay with doing that to impress Sue Storm. <laughs> so, I'm just saying. So, in the slime thing, I started thinking about this too. You know, really, I feel bad for the slime thing. He's sort of the victim in all this because he was just coming up to the surface uh i I, you know and he didn't start the fight they all basically fall into him knock him into the water and that's what causes the slime thing to get into this fight the slime thing had no intention of getting into this fight it was just he was an innocent bystander but now maybe you guys can understand this better than me because i'm
1: i'm simple uh but (laughs) how does the slime thing come to be and what is that thing on his head
0: (laughs) uh well he is the little alien creature who is out in space. He's part of the satellite that explodes, so he comes crashing to Earth with bits of the satellite, and apparently as he came to Earth, he decided that having a body was a good thing. They, they basically, it's what they say. And so the little cute headband is some mechanical device that he assembled from the satellite, which allows him to maintain a humanoid shape. So that could be
1: an issue of its own.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah, basically.
1: Cause, because they really, I don't think they really explain it well, but it takes him two years to formulate a body, which I think is just a byproduct of the fact that it took two years for Stephen Skates to get back to the story.
0: Yes, <laughs> I think you're exactly right. I think you are exactly right, yep.
1: Otherwise, it would have taken a month. <laughs> or two months. Back then, he was uh, Aquaman was bimonthly, so it would have taken two months.
0: I'm trying to flip through here to see if the creature had any motivation other than just survival. Um, I don't really... See again. I, I don't. Other than coming up here and being of strength and power, I don't think he had an agenda.
1: No, I don't think so either. And I mean, I, I just feel it's not explained well enough. Uh, you know, the the thing where all of a sudden he blinds Namor with his flashbulb eyes, right? Uh, and then somehow his head just goes off into the sky,
0: pops <laughs> off,
1: <laughs> which which is like out of Ren and Stimpy. Jeez. But uh, you know, I like and then somehow when Namor feels remorse, the creature senses it and restores his eyesight through another power that we really didn't have any idea existed. Right. I
2: mean so, it, but uh, that's but that's what makes it a Marvel story, is that it's all about like the emotions of the characters back and forth as opposed to some specific plot thing. You know, I think if this was a DC story, we would have that all explained. But in Marvel it's like you know now it's just it's just kind of the emotions of it and let's just not worry about it i
1: feel like skates wanted to tell his continuation of the story badly enough that he kind of rushed it or possibly he was told the book was being canceled and he had to kind of jam it all in
2: this story definitely seems to have a a more of a finite ending you know maybe not a final issue but it has a it, it It's kind of that final panel is a little bit of kind of like a sum up of Namor, at least for the moment.
1: But the so story about- the story tends seems to like move along too quickly as far you know, it, it lacks some explanations or, or and it lacks some build up to certain things where, you know, I, I complain about them drawing things out too long very often when we talk about more recent books. But I think this one easily could have gone two issues and, and been a more meaty story.
0: Yeah, it's a, you know, Rob, you say plot driven is, and and maybe I'm getting my thought process wrong here, but I mean, stuff happens in this story towards the end, as Paul's describing, because it has to happen. Mm -hmm. You know, again, they've got to give Namor his sight back, so this just, out of the blue happens, like, oh, wow, look at me! So, I don't know whether that qualifies as a plot driven piece there, or not, I'm not smart, I don't know enough about writing for all all that business, but um, there is a lot of stuff here that just happens for the sake of having to happen. And, and we talked a little bit on the Fire and Water episode what Skate's original script was, because what happened was Aquaman number 56 gets cancelled. He had a plan for 57, and again, this information comes from the Dial B for Blog website. Skate's plan was to, uh, in the story... Aquaman would leave Detroit, and he would discover that he lost his ability to breathe underwater and his telepathic powers. And supposedly that story got rejiggered from here, which is where he loses his sight. Rather than losing his powers, he lost his sight, and supposedly that's the the, the, combina- the, the, the correlation there. So it may be that he was just trying so desperately to fit that losing his sight in here uh, that it just it didn't work well with the story, and he just had to resolve it quickly.
2: It's quite possible. I mean, again, the the the, how fast these guys had to turn this stuff out was pretty amazing. And I also I would imagine that if everybody knew this book was canceled, they Roy Thomas probably wasn't paying a whole lot of attention because what difference did it make? Yeah,
1: that's true. I I think there's also a tendency in this particular issue uh, where they might have been trying to rush it along a little bit. Where you look at there's a lot of pages that have you know bigger and fewer panels. Mm-hmm. We have not only that splash page, but then we have a, a, a couple where there's just you know three or four panel, uh, panels on them. We have a, the two-panel page where Namor is down on his knees, a, a three-panel page following that, a two-panel page following that. And I think that might have also been not only Vince
0: Coletta, but Dan Atkins trying to get through this quickly for whatever reason. You make a good point. Yeah, as I'm flipping through here, you're right. There is a lot less going on. I mean, there's even on one of these pages, there's just a filler panel where they need a, a, a side panel for a word balloon, so they just draw colors in there. So, hmm. yeah, could very well be. And, and I, and I wonder, too, if, you know, at this point in 1974, the whole muck monster idea had really sort of latched on. Again, Swamp Thing, Man Thing, all these different stories where you've got the muck monster that you feel sorry for, the muck monster who draws out the pity, and it almost seems like they're sort of leaning on that as a crutch, like you're automatically supposed to feel bad for the slime thing. But there's not enough of it on the page to earn that. I think they're kind of assuming you're going to feel bad for it because, again, it's you know a muck-encrusted mockery of a man. And it, uh, But it's it, it, they don't earn it in the story itself. You have to walk in with that preconception, which I don't think is very fair to expect that of the reader.
1: See, I'm, I'm seeing that a little differently because the way I'm looking at it is they're originally presenting it as namor is justified in his actions because this is some sort of a monster and then as we get later into the story when he starts to feel bad about it you're saying oh you know that this creature didn't have any bad intentions and even namor realizes
0: that he should have made more of an effort to understand what was going on yeah you could very well be right okay the the, the wrap-up i i struggled with the wrap-up as is like we talked about the site, everything kind of happened. I also felt like where Namor's like, oh, if only I, I'd try to understand better. I really felt like that came out of left field. But if you got more out of it and you felt like it was earned, then then you read it in a different way than me. I just didn't feel like it was earned. Well, I, I
1: interpreted it that way, but I think it's out of character for Namor to, to all of a sudden have all these, uh, you know, bad feelings that, oh, I should have been more understanding. Uh, you know, Namor doesn't. Have regrets for treating people badly. That's not his character. <laughs> that
2: is not a that is not a trait of of that. That's a Steve Skates Namor that he has any regret about anything for the most part. You
0: know, well, we've, the, creature we've, did, it, the creature did come from the water, though, so it's not like he's feeling bad about a human. He does feel bad about something from the water, so that might be something. We've we've talked about it in the past on the show where
1: Scott did not appreciate the character of Namor because his thought was, "Oh, the guy's always an ass." And we've gone through it enough times that he's he's kind of come around to the fact that that is his character and you kind of enjoy him being an ass mm-hmm. when you're reading it you you know you're not looking for him to be the nice guy or and you're not looking to relate to him you know you're looking to read him and and have a different point of view presented and and when you take it from that perspective he becomes much more interesting
0: absolutely i mean he is a he is a king and at no point does he ever want you to forget that he is royalty and you are not yeah he doesn't and, he doesn't um,
1: suffer fools Much like Rob, yeah. (laughs) Exactly, yes. (laughs) I think you do, Rob. Uh (laughs) Hey! Wait a minute. Thank you, Paul. I didn't even mean to
2: set that one up.
1: Jeez. (laughs) But, you know, I mean, Byrne kind of took the whole Namor thing and, and, you know, gave it a a kind of a reason that, you know, because of his half-blood, you know, half-human, half-Atlantean mutant nature, that if he was in the water too long or if he was in the atmosphere too long it would kind of affect him psychologically and turn him into more of an ass <laughs> and that he needed to have a balance between the two and, and you know it i like when they can kind of acclimate the history of these characters and make them make sense like that
0: see that always bothered me because it felt like they were just trying to force this square peg into to go well why is a Namor why is Namor a villain sometimes and a hero other times? And then Byrne came up with that version. Now I love the Burn series. I absolutely love that Burn series. I think it's really good when he's running the Oracle Corporation and all that. I just wasn't a big fan of that particular retcon about the, the you know the blood problems and all that. I thought, oh come on, just you know what? He's a dick sometimes, he's not a dick sometimes. Isn't that enough? Do we have to do this? So well, I wasn't I, thrilled with the explanation, but I loved that series. See, I like the explanation because he's he's a dick sometimes and
1: not a dick sometimes to the point of being bipolar yeah. it's it's not it's not okay he you know he he has the occasional faux pas you know i mean he, <laughs> he he's is trying
0: a, to murder the whole service world yeah bad, dude.
1: <laughs> exactly now you could have just said he's bipolar i mean yeah. that, that would have been right. enough but you yeah. know i i think given giving him
0: a reason for it is makes it easier to present him as heroic You know, Marvel has found themselves in that problem a lot more than DC, where they create a villain that's just so amazing that he becomes a protagonist. You know, Namor, Magneto, Doctor Doom, um, Venom, you know, all these are antagonists that eventually become protagonists because they're just so compelling.
2: Punisher to a certain extent.
0: Yeah, Punisher. That's, yeah, no, that's absolutely a good, that's that's probably the best example. Gosh, he had four monthly titles at one point. I mean, come on.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think the Punisher is the definition of anti-hero. Yeah, yeah, but you know, name name more occasionally fits that role. Okay, now on back to the bins. Unlike fire and water, we rate our books.
0: We just like we just find things that we enjoy, and you guys have to like scrutinize it and give it grades and stuff. I feel like I'm in school when I'm on this show. Oh my gosh! Well, but you get to be the teacher. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you want me educating the world. I like giving out Fs. No, although I rarely
1: do. I rarely do. I I, I think for me to rate a book. In any level, as
0: an F, it has to have, like, no redeeming qualities. Well, this book is certainly not irredeemable, sir, and I don't think you're going to give the cover an F, because we've already talked about that one a bit. No, the cover, I'll
1: I'll start off with the cover, uh, I think it's really solid, I I think it's very compelling, as we discussed earlier, and this is another one, and this was on the stands when I was a young kid, and I picked it up off the stands, Mm. so, uh, and I still have it in my collection, uh. I'm going to give this a B plus. It's not quite iconic, but it's a really solid cover, and it's compelling. The interior art is schizophrenic, and I think you hit it on the head. The first few pages are really nice, and then after that it becomes stiff and lacking detail. Uh, so because of the last part of it, I, I, I can't give as much credit to the first few pages as I'd like to, and I'm going to give it a C-. Uh, the story... Uh, you know, I'm gonna give I'm gonna give it a lot of props just for being fun and for being the crossover that it is. Even though I would not have realized it if I hadn't been pointed in that direction, and I'm gonna give the story a B plus because I just think it's a hell of a lot of fun when you look at it from that perspective. So I'm gonna give the book a just a, a regular B overall. All right, Rob, you wanna go next, or you want me to?
2: Uh, sure. I can go, um, cover wise. I would give this, I don't know if I want to do pluses and minuses. Cause I feel like it's just, it's slicing the, the, the sure. slicing a little too thin. I would give the cover a B. I think it's a, I, I think it's, a really fun cover. It's not, like, one of the great Marvel covers of the 70s, but I think it's really good. The interior art, I would give a C just because it's... I'm sorry. It's Vince Coletta. I just can't. Um, And the story... I I guess I'm cheating. I would put in the middle. Like, I think the story is better than the art, but it does definitely has a little bit of too many gaps and just too many kind of weird little details where you're just kind of like, huh, well, all right, I guess the head popped off. Okay, sure. (laughs) Um, So I I would put the story in the middle as like a C plus or if I want to be really kind, like a B minus, but I would think overall the best part about it is the cover and the fact that it does feature Aquaman in one panel.
0: (laughs) So what was the overall grade then?
2: Oh, no, um, overall I guess I would give um, C plus. Okay. All
0: right. So so
1: after you started off by saying you're not gonna slice it so thin and get pluses know, or minuses, I, you gave two pluses. I,
0: I, <laughs> I just not just just saying. Completely well, you, lie. Well, on a five-point scale, you almost have to. You just you need yeah, that little wiggle yeah. room. You really do. That's true. Um, all right. So cover. I gave it a B. I think it's a. I think it's a solid cover. It's not, as you guys said, the most iconic ever. But for early seventies, it's absolutely a blast. It's it's really fun. It's dynamic. It would definitely get me to pick it up off the shelves. Uh, the art interior. We've already talked it to death. Uh, I gave it a C minus. Um, I didn't want to give it a D, but I certainly didn't feel comfortable giving it this because a C to me means it's adequate, it's fine. Well, it's not fine, um, especially towards the end, so with a C-. minus, The story, not in love with the story entirely, so I, I ended up giving it a, a C+. It, there, there's some, there's some, a lot of fun stuff in it, but towards the end, I, I the stuff I already talked about, where I feel like it just kind of lost the thread. And now, overall, I think my overall grade is actually higher than the sum of all the parts, because as a package, it's kind of fun. So I ended up giving it a B minus overall. I think it's a fun read. I feel like I'm better for having read it than not having read it. So uh, I enjoyed it. So I, I ended up giving it a B minus overall. What I got to say is that. If I was unaware of the
1: crossover, when I read this, when I was, whatever, 12 years old, 11 years old, uh, I didn't get the enjoyment out of it that I do now, knowing that it's the crossover. Right. Yeah. Yes. So, you know, my, my grade is, is boosted by that fact. And no, no question about it. So that's kind of it for uh, the Back to the Bins portion of our crossover. Why don't you tell everybody about your show, which they should have already downloaded and listened to. But uh, why don't you tell them about it anyway?
0: Well, sure. It's the Aquaman and Firestorm and the Fire and Water podcast because it makes perfect sense to podcast about those two characters together. Uh, Rob and I started the show a number of years ago, and it's it's become a lot of different things. It's a network now as well. But basically, it's uh, that particular show is all about our love for those two characters. And um, Rob and I, we do it probably once, twice a month.
2: Is that fair to say, Rob? At least twice a month, sometimes three. I mean, you do JLI once a month as well.
0: Yeah, and then we do Who's Who, and we do Digest Casts. We do a lot of different stuff over at the Fire & Water Podcast Network, and we're joined by a whole bunch of amazing, amazing creative people. We've got shows on just about every area of pop culture you can think of. Please check out the Fire & Water Podcast Network. It's uh, fireandwaterpodcast.com, and, of course, we're on all the social medias, uh, well, not all of them, Facebook and Twitter, under those same handles as well. Cool. Thanks for joining me
1: for this crossover, guys. I really enjoyed it, and uh, I always enjoy when we get a chance to talk to each other.
0: I, I had an absolute blast. You know, uh, I, I'm sorry we didn't see Scott. I do realize there's uh, legal documents out there that prevent us from podcasting together now, and I'm appreciative that Bill's not here because I got to drink all the diet Mountain Dew. So that was great. He's going to be so pissed when he sees it all gone. I put it all in the what, what's left. I left in the fridge, so it's cold too. Sorry, Bill. <laughs> all right,
1: so that's it. Thanks everybody for listening, and uh, we'll see you next week.
0: which you may find at www.2TrueFreaks.com. 2 True Freaks is a registered trademark of DiMonzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Please take a moment to stop by the 2TrueFreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week.